we pray. Heavenly Father, may our hearts be warmed, our lives changed in the power of your love. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You all know this. People are hungry for love. Every person on this planet has a deep, desperate need to be loved, to be valued, appreciated. So what does the cross have to tell us about love? It's very interesting that Mark plunges us into darkness. The cross is shrouded in darkness. And this is to indicate the darkness that is descending upon Jesus. On the one hand, we see the whole range of human evil. His own people rejected him. The religious leaders mocked, ridiculed, and brought up false charges to get him killed. Pilate and the Roman government gave in to political expediency and had Jesus crucified. His own friends abandoned him. But even darker, what happened to Jesus on the cross? Not from the human side, but from the divine. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father who has loved the Son from eternity turns his back on Jesus. Jesus is experiencing judgment day. He's experiencing the judgment we deserve because like sheep, we've all gone our own way. We've thought we can do this thing by life, by ourselves, a lot better than God could. Jesus is experiencing total disintegration as his father forsakes him. You know, the cross with all of its pain and suffering, the scourge, the crown of thorns, the nails driven through human flesh, the painful, horrendous, suffocating death, all of that, all of that put together is a mere flea bite compared to what Jesus was experiencing on our behalf, where he was being condemned, not for what he had done, but for what we had done. Why? Why would he do that? The answer is easy, it's love. 
but I need to explain it just a touch. In Greek, there are three main words for love, and the Greeks were tremendously clever. They were connecting different directions with love. So eros, from which we get the word erotic, that was a love that had a natural upward pull. It wasn't only sex, it could be honor, it could be praise, it could be whatever by nature attracts us, pulls us up. Well, then there's Philos, from which the city in Pennsylvania gets its name, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That's friendship, friendship love. So that's the horizontal with an arrow point on each end. And then there's agape. Oh, how the Greeks detested agape. They did not want to agape anyone. Guess which direction is left? Down. You have to lower yourself. You have to belittle yourself to see the value of others, to love them for no reason. And yet, throughout the New Testament, the love of God is always agape. God so agaped the world that he sent his son to the torture chamber, to the cross to the humiliation, the weakness, the degradation of the cross. You know, Cicero, the great statesman and scholar, died in 49 BC. Uh, he said the Latin word for cross, crux, C-R-U-X, was a curse word. It was a real four-letter word. They looked down on anyone who would go through the torture, the humiliation, the pain, the suffering of the cross. Let me tell you two stories. You have the names in your service folder. Uh, the first one is Teresa of Avila. She was born in 1515 in Spain. At age 20, she joined a Carmelite convent. Now, I wasn't going to say this. I thought this was a little bit flippant for Good Friday. But why would you join a Carmelite convent when you could have caramel with fat and sugar. <laughs> and Chris, you can erase that from the tape. <laughs> In the chapel where she worshipped, 
In the entryway, there was a picture of Jesus with the crown of thorns, with anguish and pain etched on his face. And for years, she just walked by that picture, never noticed it. And one day, for some reason, she looked. And it captured her. And it changed her. And she said, I can't believe he loved me that much. Now, I have an assignment for you. You can do this online. One of the most powerful pictures I've ever seen is the Eisenheim altarpiece. If you've ever seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Painted between 1512 and 1516 by a man by the name of Matthias Grunewald. You gotta write this down, you're not gonna get it. Now, Eisenheim sounds German, but it's in France. And there was an abbey or a monastery St. Anthony was their patron saint. And what they spent their days doing was hospital work. Uh, This was the time of the plague. I don't know if you realize that when Luther lived was the time of the bubonic plague. And uh, Luther himself and many of his followers actually set up hospitals in the churches and in the other public buildings. But back to the Eisenheim altarpiece and uh, the monks of St. Anthony, their special ministry besides victims of the plague was a terrible skin disease. It, 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 It was described as fire. And if you ever see pictures of it, it's just horrible. So Matthias Grunewald a picture of Jesus on the cross with wounds that resemble the plague, with skin eruptions that resemble this terrible disease. Now, you don't know it from online, but if you actually were to see this in person, the figures on the painting are life-size. And what Grunewald was trying to tell those people in that hospital who were suffering is, he was wounded for you. He went through what you're going through. These people who were throwaway people, Grunewald wanted them to know that Jesus came and died for them. Second story, Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf had finished his education in 1719. He decided to take a grand tour of Europe. He ended up in a museum in Dusseldorf And there was a painting by an Italian by the name of Domenica Fetti. Now, it's the same as the cheese, so you're okay there. 
And his painting, now in classical Latin, which they weren't using at that time, but I liked classical better, it was ecce homo. In their language, it was a soft C, essay, homo. It's behold the man. You perhaps have seen this painting. And Zinzendorf sat and looked at this painting and he said he could see the love of Jesus in his face, tortured, anguished. And he sat there for hours. He spent the whole afternoon there. He was still there when the sun set. And of course, he noticed the little couplet beneath the painting. I did this for thee, what will you do for me? And Zinzendorf, on that day, made a vow that he would serve Jesus by serving people. And you perhaps know the rest of the story. It was Count von Zinzendorf's estate where the Moravians took refuge when they were being persecuted. Uh, you probably don't know much about the Moravians. They had a great influence on uh, John and Charles Wesley. The Moravians are descendants of Jan Hus from Prague. Now, if you don't know who that is, he's a reformer 100 years before Luther. And Luther was accused of being a Hussite. And he says, no, I'm not. And during lunch, he went to the library, and he came back, and he said, I guess I am. <laughs> uh, well, and, and the story that you all have to know, um, we won't teach this in Sunday school, but uh, John Hoos, they, he was martyred. They burned him at the stake, and Hoos means goose. And so he said, today you cook a goose, in a hundred years a swan will come. And a hundred years later, Luther pops up on the scene. But the point of this story is von Zinzendorf was not just captured by God's love at the cross. He was controlled by it. He spent the rest of his life trying to help people. I want to do a little bit of an epilogue that really doesn't have a lot to do with the sermon, but I think I can make it fit. Uh, first of all, do you know there's seven words of Jesus from the cross? There's even a hymn on LSB that goes through the seven words. How many of them are in the Gospel of Mark? You heard it tonight. Just one. That was so crucial and so essential for Mark that we would know what was going on at the cross. And there's somebody else in the story that seems to get it. Not just the reader, but we're told that when Jesus died, this four-inch thick tapestry, which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, was torn from top to bottom. Now, I know some people on Good Friday do sound effects. I don't slam the Bible shut or do the thunder. But if you want to rip your bulletin, 
because that's really important. Up to that point, to get in the Holy of Holies, it took goats and lambs and bulls, lots of blood. Now the only sacrifice necessary to connect us to God and for his ocean of love to flow into our hearts and lives is the cross. And N.T. Wright said this. He said, the first person to get it is that centurion. If you read the Gospel of Mark, you know what the first verse is? This is the Gospel of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Do you know what the Roman soldier, and remember, this guy has seen death up close. He has caused death up close a lot. Surely this was the Son of God. Mark wants you to know that. And the most unlikely of suspects gets it. And he wants you to get it too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the cascade of your love has flowed from the cross into this world and into our hearts. May our hunger and our thirst for love be satisfied. May it take hold of our hearts, warming them. May it control our lives that we would love others as he lowered himself and loved us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.